to that end, we're going to be looking at a sermon series through the month of September on uh, the gift of friendship and how uh, God calls us to be together, not in just large groups, but to be together in more intimate fellowship, to grow to know one another even more closely and to enjoy the great gift that friendship offers us uh, through the community of Christ. So to that end, as I said, we'll preach on this gift of friendship, and we will be today looking at the gospel according to John, the 14th chapter, beginning at the 15th verse. Jesus is speaking in these words to his disciples on the night before his own death, and he is reminding them of their communion with each other and with their Lord and Savior and with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So hear the word of God as it comes to us from John chapter 14. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you in a little while. The world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. And on that day, you will know that I am in my father and you and me and I and you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me and those who love me will be loved by my father. And I will love them and reveal myself to them. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, those who love me will keep my word and my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. And I've said these things to you while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid." You heard me say to you, I am going away and I am coming to you. If you love me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs so that when it does occur, you may believe. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that through your Holy Spirit, these words to come will point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ, where we pray this in his name. Amen. Neil deGrasse Tyson is an astrophysicist with the American Museum of Natural History in New York City and director of the world-renowned Hayden Planetarium. He spends a great deal of his time trying to understand the great mysteries of the universe that surrounds us. He researches dark matter and black holes and anti-gravity and a million other things that make up the deep, dark sky that you and I gaze into from time to time. Occasionally, when I find myself at the library or bookstore, I will flip through Dr. Tyson's books for as long as it takes me to realize that I don't understand anything that he's saying. 
Imagine my delight then when I came upon a recent book of his, Astrophysics for People in a Hurry, a tiny book written for the unscientific mind, sort of like Astrophysics for Dummies, that spells out in pretty simple terms what's going on out there in the deep, dark universe. And I was intrigued by the title of his first chapter, The Greatest Story Ever Told, borrowing from Christian movies and books of the same title. Turns out to be a bit tongue-in-cheek as we learned that Dr. Tyson is an atheist. His greatest story ever told is strictly about science and the scientific view of how the world got started. And he begins the chapter, The Greatest Story Ever Told, this way. In the beginning, nearly 14 billion years ago, all the space and all the matter and all the energy of the known universe was contained in a volume less than one trillionth the size of the period that ends this sentence. Conditions were so hot, the basic forces of nature that collectively describe the universe were unified. Though still unknown how it came into existence, this sub pinpoint size cosmos could only expand rapidly in what we today call the Big Bang. Thus starts Dr. Tyson's The Greatest Story Ever Told. Now, in this world of ours that seems to be pulling itself apart into polarities, me versus you, right versus left, liberal versus conservative, this color people versus that color people, it is probably no surprise to see the growing fissure between the religious view of the world and the scientific view. Somewhere along the way, people grew convinced with these two worlds, the world of faith and the world of science, that they could not exist. One had to be right, the other had to be wrong. That you couldn't, for example, believe in the Bible and also believe in evolution. That you couldn't map out the human genome and still leave room for the creative mystery of God. That you couldn't chart the interiors of the brain and still leave room for the soul. It's either science or faith, a false dichotomy like many of the others we seem to fight about. Thank God for people like Dr. Tyson who can study the universe in such a way as to help us imagine that the fathomless universe of which we are a part actually got its start in a space no bigger than the invisible speck of dust that sits on the pew in front of you. Because, of course, it begs the question, how did that speck of size, speck of dust size universe get there to begin with? A question that Dr. Tyson is not prepared to answer. But a question that philosophers and people of faith have been entertaining for a long time. Who lit the fuse for the Big Bang in the first place? A question simple enough that a two-year-old can formulate it and profound enough that an astrophysicist cannot answer it. And so we take a leap of faith. And what we have come to believe, we people of faith, is what has been handed down to us over generations and centuries, which is at the beginning of the greatest story ever told, there was, even before the speck of dust universe, there was the person of God. More specifically, if you're Christian and you've just recited the Apostles' Creed as we just did, it's not just the person of God that was at the beginning of time. It was the persons of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The whole thing got started with persons, and 
in relationship with one another, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that before anything, there was this relationship, a friendship, shall we say, between the three persons of God, the three-person God who is himself a relationship, God relating within God's self. God is one, God is three. And so when the Big Bang banged, as Dr. Tyson so brilliantly describes, can we not imagine that not only did all the space and all the matter and all the energy explode to create what is the expanding universe and form everything we see, including our own flesh and blood, but at the very same time, the very nature of God, the very relationship of God, the very being of God exploded to become the essential ingredient of life. That is to say that as much as we might need, as much as we might need for our survival, those physical elements that were at the beginning of time, like carbon and oxygen and hydrogen and gravity, so we need the very nature of God, the very image of God for our survival, which is to say that one of the things we cannot live without is our relationship with one another. If God cannot be God without being in a relationship, then we cannot be human unless we are in relationship. It is the very stardust of which our spirits and bones are made. It is the very thing we cannot live without. You really cannot live without friendship. So it's no surprise that when Jesus, this one person of the Trinity, begins his ministry, the first thing he does is he pulls together a group of people to become his community of friends. I don't call you servants, Jesus says. No, I call you my friends. And friends they will be. Jesus is teaching them the secret of the universe, the stuff of creation, how it all began. And so even when it comes time for Jesus to leave, on his last night he reminds them of the friendship they have in God. The three persons, God, who will always be with them, enveloping them, surrounding them, enfolding them. I will ask the Father, Jesus says, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. This three-person dance, as C.S. Lewis calls it, circles around us and invites us into community with God and with each other. Why? Because this is the very nature of the universe, the very essence of our being. God is friend to us and invites us to be friend to each other. St. Augustine, 16 centuries ago, described the essence of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as lover, the beloved, and love itself. Lover, God the Father, the beloved, God the Son, and love itself, God the Holy Spirit. That this is who God, all who God is, all loves wrapped together, the love, the lover, the love, the beloved and love itself. And that is as real in the world as oxygen we breathe and water we drink. The essential ingredient of which every day has its recommended daily allowance because you cannot live without friendship. 
And so Jesus can't help himself but to speak to us in very personal terms. He calls us his friend. He calls us to love one another. He says that God is like a father running to his son. He says that God is like a woman searching for a coin. God is like a shepherd looking for a sheep because God is the lover, the beloved, and love itself. And life is not really life until we see it and live it in relational and personal terms. It's what the voice of the creation was speaking when he said, said, let us make men and women in our own image. For to be in the image of God is to be in relationship with each other. It is not good, God says, for the man to be alone because you can't be alone and live. So we are wired for community and friendship. And so from the very beginning, the church understood that to to Live meant to be in community. To be the family of God was to be in relationship with one another. To be in the image of God is to be in the community of friends. So they gathered together and they ate together and they shared together and they depended upon each other and they held everything in common and they held no private ownership because to be in relationship was to experience the very essence of creation. It was to be about the byproduct of the Big Bang. If you want to know the meaning of the universe, if you want to experience the greatest story ever told, the Bible says, find yourself a friend and hold on. Find yourself a friend and hold on. This weekend, they inducted a new class into the Professional Basketball Hall of Fame. And it got me to thinking of the story of two basketball players, two professional basketball players named Jack Twyman and Marie Stokes. They are on the left-hand side of that picture. Some of you probably remember these two. They played back in the 50s and 60s, both young men, high school friends from Pittsburgh. One went to play for the University of Cincinnati. The other went to play for St. Francis. Both of them were drafted, as it turns out, to play for the Rochester Royals, which later became the Cincinnati Royals, which later became the Kansas City Kings, which later became the Sacramento Kings. Not that that matters. And both men back in the 50s, were premier players in the league. And they led the league in many categories. But three years into his career, Maurice Stokes took a bad fall on his head and three days later collapsed into the arms of his friend, Jack Twyman, and slipped into a coma, the victim of post-traumatic encephalopathy, which rendered him a paraplegic for life. Back then, professional basketball didn't have medical insurance, didn't have disability insurance. And so Maurice Stokes was left alone to fend for his treatment. But that's not true because he had Jack Twyman and Jack Twyman was his friend and Jack Twyman was not going to let him go. So Jack Twyman visited Maurice every day that he possibly could in the hospital. He invited Maurice after he got out of the hospital over to his house every Sunday afternoon for dinner. He made sure that Maurice had the best medical care. He organized an exhibition basketball game of the finest players in the league to come together and to raise money for the care of his friend Maurice Stokes. And they all came, the community of players, 
Wilt Chamberlain flew overnight from Paris just to be there at the first game. And they came together every year for Marie Stokes because this is what life's about. This is the stardust from creation. And they raised money. And they made sure that his medical needs were taken care of for the next dozen years until Marie suffered a heart attack and died. But even then, Jack Twyman wasn't done with his friend because Jack Twyman knew that between the two of them, the better player was Marie Stokes. And so it wasn't enough for Jack to get into the Basketball Hall of Fame, which he did in 1982. No, he was going to make sure that his best friend got into the Hall of Fame, too. So for 20 years, he petitioned the league to consider the three-year career of his friend as sufficient to be a candidate for the Hall of Fame. And he wore them down with his insistence. And in 2004, they elected Marie Stokes into the Hall of Fame. And his best buddy, Jack Twyman, got to receive the honor for his friend. Now, that's friendship. That's what they call love what they call the stardust from the beginning of time. Because love is what makes the world go round, right? And there's something silly when people start thinking that Christianity is about what you know, you know, what doctrine you know, what verses in the Bible you know, what answers you know for the test. It's, it's not what you know as much as who you love. And from the beginning of time, God has always had it in God's mind that we would know the great joy of life when we found friendship with each other. And the rancor of the Supreme Court hearings of this past week, it makes me think of the retirement several years ago of Supreme Court Justice David Souter, who on his last day spoke publicly to his colleagues and said, I will not sit with you at our bench after the court rises for the summer this time, but neither will I retire from our friendship, which has held us together Despite the pull of the most passionate dissent, it has made the work lighter through all my tenure. And for as long as I live, I will be thankful for it and be under a very grateful obligation to each of you. Friendship, which holds us together despite the pull of the most passionate dissent. It makes me think of this group of guys I've known for almost 30 years. Seven of us all together, business owners, salesmen, a construction manager, a dentist, and a preacher. Pretty different guys with lots of passionate dissent. We started meeting a long time ago when I lived in another part of the country every Monday morning. All around of the same age, back then we were young husbands and fathers who didn't know what the heck we were doing. But we found every time each week before we ran off to work a chance to sit and talk and read the Bible and pray for each other about an hour or so every week. And some of our time was silly and some of our time was serious. Some of our time we laughed and some of our time we cried. We watched some of our children go off the rails and some of our spouses get very sick. Some of us lost our jobs and changed careers. We went to football games and booed and cheered. Most of all, we walked with each other and held on tight. And every year we still find an excuse to get together, even though we are hundreds of miles apart, because we couldn't live very well without it. We call ourselves Job's friends 
because Job's friends in the Bible had more advice than what Job ever needed. And we sure have that for each other, more advice than any of us ever needs. But you know, in that little small group of stumbling young men, now become old men, there was the stuff of creation, the image of God, the stardust from heaven. In that little small group is the lover, the beloved, and the love itself from the dawn of time. So it shouldn't have been a surprise last year when they saw old Hurricane Irma bearing down on the southwest coast of Florida a year ago this weekend, that before she even touched land, Joe's friends had already made arrangements to rent a truck, cleared their calendars to come down to help a guy who might need some help. And just two days ago, we all got the calls that one of us had lost his bride of 30-plus years to cancer and were on our way in different ways to do what we can. So I don't know about you, but life just isn't what it's supposed to be until you make your way into other people's lives and you allow other people to make their way into yours. To live out that community from the beginning of time, to take your place in the dance of heaven with other brothers and sisters, to be the lover, to be the beloved, and to be love itself. Maybe one of these small groups that will start soon will be your ticket, the chance to live into what God has wanted for you since the beginning of time, your daily recommended allowance of the very stuff of life.